The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in 1 Corinthians 15. We've been preaching through the book of Luke. We're kind of taking a small break to kind of look at 1 Corinthians 15 for Easter Sunday. Um, And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to read the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15. And I think that explains why we will be in this passage. And we're going to look at this consider a few things that God has for us on Easter Sunday. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So this is the most important thing about the Christian message, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised in the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared more, to more than 500 brothers at, the, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Let's pray real quick, and we'll ask for God's help as we look at this passage together. Um, God, we gather here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And as we read it and sing about it and talk about it, it can feel like a historical thing. So we ask that you would help us to experience the newness of Jesus and his resurrection power for us this very moment, this morning. So it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask for this. Amen. Um, the re- we're not going to, we're going to look through the whole of 1 Corinthians 15, but I read that part because I think that some of us can read that and experience the Easter message kind of like the, we will experience July 4th. July 4th happens, but like it celebrates an anniversary that's important, but like, it's kind of like a thing that happened a long time ago. And, like, we can read about it, you know, like, everybody's like, Thomas Jefferson, he's so cool, and all that stuff, whatever. It's like all ancient stuff that happened, we can read the resurrection accounts and sing about it and feel like that's old stuff that happened, but what does that mean for my life today? Like, I know that we're all Americans, and so July 4th, like, continues to have an influence on us. But, like, how does the resurrection change us today? What does it do for us? Maybe you're uh, not a Christian, and you're kind of like, I'm not even sure about it. There's a lot of reasons to believe in the resurrection, but we're just going to say the resurrection happened historically. It happened where Jesus rose from the dead. So what does that mean for us? And if you want to talk about the historical like evidence for the resurrection, I'd be happy to do that, or you can peg me in the Q&A after the sermon. Um, by the way, we have a Q&A number. Those, those questions come to me. You can ask questions during the sermon if you'd like. I want to read this quote from G.K. Chesterton to help us try to get into why does, the resurrection hap- um, why does the resurrection matter for us today? Because children have a bound- abounding vitality, right? They're full of energy, as we just experienced. As they all went back to children's ministry, got very loud for a second. Because they are in, in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And a grown-up person does it until he is nearly dead. Doesn't that feel familiar? <laughs> Read that book to me again, and again, and again. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt a monotony. 
but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. Next slide here. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all, des all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately and has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. See, what Chesterton, who wrote this 100 years ago, is getting at is that every morning, God says to the world, do it again, almost in the same type of spirit that children say, read that story again and again and again. I want to watch, you know, whatever it is, Cars <laughs> 1 or Cars 2 for the 20,000th time. I want to do it again. God says to the world every morning, do it again. And every springtime... When we, I mean, as I'm driving in, I'm seeing more like little daisies and tulips in the neighborhood as I'm walking around the neighborhood or walking to church. You're seeing them sprout up. And every Easter, we come to this moment where God says, I want to do this resurrection thing for you again. It's not just kind of some perfunctory thing that happened. But it's something that God continues to remind us as we come to this moment in the calendar of the church where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. God wants to remind us resurrection happens again and again and again for those who trust in Christ. So when we ask the question, what does the resurrection mean for us? We're asking really, how does God want to meet us today, this moment, this week, with the power of of this mysterious thing that we talk about from 2,000 years ago happening in our lives today. So I'm just going to make a few observations as we kind of leapfrog through this passage. The main point being, because of Jesus' victory over sin and death, he is eager to fill our daily lives with his resurrection power. And if I were just to want to ask you to, to walk away with one thing from this morning, it's that word eager. Jesus is eager to fill our lives with his resurrection power every day of our lives. So, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of leapfrog through a few of these verses here. We're going to pick up here in verse 14, and we're going to look at Christ's resurrection for our hope. Verse 14 to 19, And if Christ has, been, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. When we are found... Um, we are even found to be, me, to be, sorry, I have to do my uh, singing lessons to get speaking right. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because he testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. I know that sounds confusing. Basically, it's, we could be found to be liars about who God is if God doesn't raise dead people from the grave. That, that's basically what he's saying. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we hope, in this life only, we are of, most of, people, of, of all people most to be pitied. What I appreciate about the Bible one of the things that it does is it will regularly call into question the very claims that it makes. I don't know what your experience is with religion. 
I don't know what your experience is with pastors or churches, but sometimes churches and pastors can kind of have this, this presentation of, if you question me, how dare you question the church? How could you possibly question what we're saying here about God? But the Bible does it over and over and over again, where it'll say these outlandish things like, God raises dead people from the grave. <laughs> Has anybody here experienced God raising dead people from the grave? No, I, I'd assume not. Maybe that'd be, that'd be pretty cool if you did. <laughs> But it's something the Bible said God did in the past and will do in the future, which is a pretty radical thing to claim. And then the Bible will say, it's okay to ask, is this even true? And what it says is not only is it true, but if it's false that God raises people from the dead, then you have no hope in life. Basically, this is all you got. Everything ends in death. The reality is that if death is not conquered, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then death is the final nail in the coffin. Quite literally, death is the final mark of every story. Death ultimately wins. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then death wins. That's basically what Paul is saying here. If in Christ, verse 19, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. This experience of death having the final word in each of our lives and every story that we hear and every story that we write is this word called despair. I'm not sure I make a lot of reference to it, but occasionally I do Lord of the Rings. Anybody? Okay. There's a famous line where Gandalf, the gray, you know, his gray, big gray hat, he says, despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. Death means that there is nothing beyond this life and that anything beyond this life is nothing like what we know now. Despair is that experience of saying like, I have nothing to hope for. I have nothing to look forward to. Everything that I know ends in death. That is what despair feels like, right? I don't know if you've experienced that, whether it's in, re in the depths of an addiction or it's in the depths of a negative experience or it's the de depths of tra trauma or tragedy. We all, I think we can all experience that. I know how this ends. I know what's going to happen. It's all going to end in death. There's no hope. But Easter Sunday comes in, kind of knocks on our door and says, but death is not the end. Right? To quote Gandalf, right? Despair is only for those who see an end beyond all doubt, who know the end is death. But if you know that the end is resurrection and life beyond death and a new world to come that God's going to bring, death no or Christ knocks on our door every morning and says, death will not be the end of your story. Death is only a passing thing. Death is, in a certain sense, an uninvited guest. Have you guys ever had somebody in your house where you're just kind of like... <laughs> Okay, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I, I got a dentist appointment. <laughs> and it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. And you're like, Dent and it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. And you're like, dentist appointment. Yeah, 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 he, he does night shifts. I got to go. <laughs> That's what death is like in our lives. It certainly comes in uninvited. It has all types of terrible effects in our lives, right? Every person in this room will have to reckon with your own death at some point. 
But if the resurrection of Christ is true, that means that our hope is not just some sort of cat poster on the wall. Our hope is a living person. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, what was I'm trying to figure out where. You know the graveyard right here down in Manchester? <laughs> One of those huge sarcophaguses in that. If somebody just like walked out of that, like how would that change your life? I mean, not to mention that you might have a heart attack and end up in the ER. If that is what happened with Jesus, that he's not just some sort of zombie that kind of long, lumbers out, but he woke himself up out of death, like we wake ourselves up out of a nap. And he says, I want you to hope in me. I know that life can get hard. But brothers and sisters, that type of hope rests in an anchor that is stronger than any sort of cat poster on our walls. It is in a person who says, this is not the end. Hey, there's a part of me that kind of wants to run an advertisement like Christianity, it's going to be the, it's going to be okay religion. Like the reality is that if Jesus rose from the dead, every mark of what death looks like in your life, Jesus says at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay with him. So I don't know what your week looks like, but as we step into the week ahead, there is a sense in which our hope is not in whether we get the job, that coworker doesn't show up, the kids play nice, the traffic works out. Those aren't our anchor for hope. Our anchor for hope in the week ahead is that Jesus Christ took a big deep breath after he'd been dead for three days and walked out of the grave. And he looks at you and says, I gotcha. All right, we're going to pick up here. We're going to keep kind of leapfrogging through verse 24. Not only is Christ's resurrection for our hope, but Christ's resurrection is for our liberation. Verse 24, then comes the end. So he's kind of talked about the kind of history of the world. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, uh, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I, I've talked about this before in my sermons. I, I recognize the way I watch movies or TV shows is like not for everybody, but I love to spoil the ending. <laughs> like. I love to read the Wikipedia page ahead of time. <laughs> is anybody? I know this is not. Everybody loves the suspense. I'm like, look, I live with suspense as a part of my life on a regular basis. I don't need to watch it for entertainment. <laughs> so I'll go to the Wikipedia page and I'll read ahead, like, who lives, who dies, who betrays who, all that stuff. Like, uh, anybody watching Shrinked from Apple TV? Okay, I've been, I've, I stopped watching Shrink, Shrinking. Sorry, Shrinking. I, um, it's got Harrison Ford in it. It's about therapists. It's all that stuff. But I, I stopped watching it in the middle of it because the Wikipedia pages stopped telling me what was going to happen. I was like, well, I got to wait till all the episodes come out to know what happened. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I, I, I haven't even gone back and kept continued watching it after I've read the ending. But I just can't stand the suspense. This is our Wikipedia page for the rest of the world. Death will be defeated. How many of us have been to funerals? Every person in this room. 
I mean, and, and that's not to like dredge up all the negative experiences of that, but to say death is so common. Despair, so common. And what this says is that death, as a person, so to speak, is Jesus' number one enemy. And you'll see here, verse 25, Jesus, who, after his resurrection, ascends, reigns over the world, guides it like a pilot to a ship. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, we all experience the types of death in our lives, right? Death of dreams, death of friendships, broken relationships, trauma, addiction, all these types of things that are like death, so to speak, right? All of those are Jesus's enemies in our lives until he comes again to destroy the power of death and to put death to death. That, that, that's the crazy thing is that Jesus lives now until death is dead. That's what he's doing. Which means that as he looks at our lives, when we think about the, the ways in which we experience death. Now, I, you could talk about like emotional struggles, but how many of us in recovery work, so to speak, experience like there's a physical part to that experience of death of like, I just, I feel this urge that I must manage, that I must find a way to engage with, or the ways where it's experienced trauma or being broken emotionally. All these different types of deaths that we experience in our lives these are all enemies that Jesus looks at and says, I want to bring liberation. He looks at each one in your life and says they must be removed from the equation. He keeps undoing death's effects until death itself is dead. Right? That is what Jesus is doing. And someday, we will look on a world where there is a grave for death. And that is what Jesus is doing right now. Jesus is putting death kind of in the grip hold, so to speak. And so he asks us on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, when we talk about Easter and this grounding of our hope and life in a, in a liberation and hope that is a person, not just like we were saying earlier, not just some sort of cat poster on the wall, right? This is a person who looks at you and wants to give you hope and wants to give you liberation. When you leave this Easter service, where do you want to experience liberation in your life? Is it anxiety? Is it mental health? Is it recovery work? Is it, I would just like to experience a little bit of some joy and happiness in life? All the shadows of death that we experience in our day in, day out, Jesus wants you to know life and experience joy liberated from the shadow of death. All right, I'm going to keep moving forward here. Verse 54, we've talked about how Christ's resurrection, um, Christ's resurrection is for our hope, and then Christ's resurrection is for our liberation. Verse 54, Christ's resurrection for our bodies. Let me read a few verses here, and we're going to focus on verse 54. 
I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, will, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal body puts on immortality, then shall come the pass that is saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Did you notice that there was a few words that were repeated over and over again? We shall be changed. Said twice. It also says that we must put on immortality. Why? Well, it, you only do things that shall and must because something's been promised. And when Jesus promised to save us from the power of sin and death, he was not just kind of saying some sort of mystical, you know, you'll be saved experientially. But I don't know what your small groups or your friendship groups look like, but in our small group, we talk about the effects of uh, the decay of health a lot. <laughs> the, problem, the health problems we got, the insurance claims, <laughs> doctor's visits. We talk about it every week. Somebody's got something going on, right? Everybody's got something. You see, the resurrection of Jesus says not only will you be saved from your sin, but God makes a promise that your body will be saved from all the effects of death and death itself. In fact, right, it says this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. What would it be like? Have you ever thought, what would it be like to experience immortality? Like, what would it be like to never get a paper cut? <laughs> or if you did get a paper cut, not to, like, emotionally die, <laughs> right? What would it be like to be able to drive a car in one out of every, one out of every 5,000? There's, like, one, what, one out of every 5,000 is a deadly car crash, something like that. What would it be like to drive a car and never have to worry about death or fly a plane for some of you, right? <laughs> what would it be like to get a cold and never die? What would it be like to never have to worry about death again or, frankly, getting a cold for that matter? What would it look like to be able to climb the mountains in New Hampshire and not have a backache the next day <laughs> or to die on the way up. <laughs> Can you begin to kind of hear with me? Like, what would it be like to think about going scuba diving without having to worry about going down and drowning? What would it be like to experience this world without this reality of death nearby? That's what Jesus says is the world that he is bringing into reality. And so that's why it says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on, must put on immortality. You see, the gospel message is not just that you are freed from the power of sin, which is incredible on its own merits. We have all stand here 
if God were to expose our hearts, how many, how many sins could be listed out? Not only is that settled with the cross of Christ, but his resurrection comes in and says, I make a claim on your body. All, think about all the ways in which you are a complex person, right? Your emotions, your desires, your thoughts, all of that stuff affects your physical body. And all of that stuff together will be raised into new life where Jesus wants you to experience what it's like to be a human without death, which is to be imperishable. Right? What is that? I mean, that's an, we begin to kind of walk away from Easter feeling like that's a pretty incredible claim. Like, of all the other things that the Bible says... Death will not have any claim over you in Jesus. Now, to be apart from Christ is to, as one scholar has said, experience condemnation and defeat at the hand of God's enemy. It is to experience unending death. But to be in Christ, God values you as your whole person. And so as he raises from the dead on Easter morning. That first breath, can you, again, that first breath in his lungs after being dead for three days begins a revolution that continues on until here we are at Valley and Wilson on Manchester, New Hampshire, that Jesus intends for you to experience his power. Okay? We're going to finish up here because I could say a lot more on this, but I want us to sing some more. <laughs> okay. Christ's resurrection, not only for our hope and our liberation and our bodies, we'll just look at here at verse 58, for our work. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, I personally read this and I'm kind of like, why would you end on a note about our work? Right? You've just talked about like this huge God's Wikipedia page for the world as death loses, Jesus wins, so keep your eye on Jesus. Don't get frustrated by the effects of death. Death has no claim over you. Jesus can liberate you. Death will ultimately be removed from your bodily experience of what it means to be human. Also, don't get tired at work. <laughs> it's just a little like, it seems a little disjointed to me. But I think the point is that one of the places that we all experience the effects of death the most <laughs> might be the grind of work. I mean, how many of, I mean, to feel like you haven't accomplished anything at work, that your work is like meaningless, that your work is pointless, that you're useless, that even when you have a good day at work, you have five days of bad work, you know, just all the ways in which it's kind of like, what? Work is terrible. <laughs> and yet the resurrection of Jesus means if you are in Christ, your work is an expression of the grace of Christ and will not be touched by death. That in a certain sense, the work that you do each week, whatever the judgment seat looks like ahead of us, it will survive that. That it is knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Things that are in vain are anything that's conquerable by death. So if you're in Jesus, 
your work life, whatever that means, parenting, work, <laughs> driving, Boston traffic, <laughs> 93, 293, whatever it is, whatever your work consists of, it's not touched by death. Do you see, like, not only, this is, begins to make Easter very weird, right? It's not just that Jesus rose from the dead. He gives you hope. He liberates you from the effects of death. He will, exp he will experience the physical reality of a, light, of a body without death. And your resume before that moment will be filled with, she was faithful at CV. I mean, I'm looking at Walgreens over here. If you're faithful at Walgreens, your work at Walgreens across the street will survive the judgment of God and will be a part of the new world to come. And if it's true of Walgreens, it's true of whatever your work is. I'm not saying that Walgreens is terrible. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm looking at all the people in the world room and I'm like, whatever your competitor is, you know, like, <laughs> whatever. But you understand, this is incredible that your life now begins to be filled with all of this meaning because the resurrection happened. And it's all because Jesus looks at you and is eager to give you his resurrection power. That's pretty incredible. I want to remind us, can we go back to the Chesterton quote? Because children have an abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For the grown-up people are not, not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every morning, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatically necessary that makes all, desire, all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately and has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, right, of a child. For we have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we. What I want you to walk away with this Easter is that Jesus is young enough to exalt in you experiencing his resurrection power and mercy every morning, every day, every week. We may come up to Easter and kind of be like, oh, I gotta do Easter again. Maybe it's not that. But as we come into the spring season, you begin to see these flowers pop up in random places as I've seen in my neighborhood or wherever you are. Every morning, Jesus is eager for you to experience his resurrection power again and again and again and does not grow tired of you in all the ways in which you need and you require his resurrection power again and again and again. So what we're going to do now is we're going to celebrate who God is for us and we're going to sing that he says to us, I'm going to do it again for all, the, all we need this Easter Sunday. Let's pray. God, as we have looked at your word, I pray that we would experience your desire to give us your power. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. 
King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.